Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Michael Krasny, coming up next on Forum, in his State of the City address late last month, Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs said that despite being hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic, the city's budget is healthy and that there will be no cuts to services. The city's youngest and first black mayor has prioritized addressing poverty in the community, including a guaranteed income program that was recently extended through next year. We'll get the mayor's take on the defund the police movement and what Stockton is doing to address police violence. And with San Joaquin County now on a state watch list for falling behind in efforts to curb the spread of the virus, we'll ask how the city is coping. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs made headlines in early 2019 when the city began giving $500 each month to 125 randomly selected individuals. The mayor has said that the trial program, which was recently extended through next year, is an important tool to help residents overcome poverty and disastrous events. As San Joaquin County sees the highest number of hospitalizations since the pandemic began, we'll hear how Stockton is faring and we'll also Get the mayor's thoughts on how to combat police brutality. And welcome, Mayor Michael Tubbs. Good to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Pleased to have you. Uh, I'd like to begin by talking about the whole situation with police uh, in Stockton. And uh, I I speak about this in in a broad sense because I know that uh, under your leadership and working with Eric Jones, who is the police chief, and has a deserved reputation for being progressive, it brings up the whole question again of whether there should be defunding. But first, let's talk about what you've done in Stockton and what's uh, been moved forward on on the progressive side in terms of, well, meeting community needs. Yeah, well, and and first of all, thank you for this important conversation. 
Um, in, in Stockton, we've taken very seriously the need to create a 21st model, 21st century model of policing, um, one that reflects that police can't do everything, and nor should they be our only answer to issues of poverty, um, homelessness, mental health, et cetera. Um, so to that end, since I was on city council, uh, the police chief and I have worked very closely together with the community and with our officers to really make change. So in 2014, we created an Office of Violence Prevention. And through that office, we pioneered or, or have led our ceasefire of violence response efforts. In addition to that, I brought the Advanced Peace and Gun Violence Reduction Program to Stockton. And both these programs treat gun violence as a public health crisis and doesn't respond to young men who are victims of perpetrators of violent crime just with cops and just with jails. But we respond to them with a different sort of first responders in terms of opportunity, in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy, in terms of case management, we've seen this approach has led to a 40% reduction in gun and homicides and a 30% reduction in gun violence from the, the number in 2017 and what's been, been our average. In addition yeah. to that, Stockton has been part of the National Trust Initiative since 2015. I'm working to create better police community relations. So to that end, our police chief has held use of force listening sessions where he has sat down with anyone who's wanted to meet with him who has ever had use of force instead with Stockton PD. Um, he's hosted reconciliation talks where he went, he goes to different communities and apologizes for some of the atrocities committed um, by Stockton PD against them. He talks about how um, he, we understand that policing, the roots of policing is, is rooted in, in, in ideologies of racism and white supremacy as they were first started for slave patrols and then were used to um, take away black people's civil liberties and, and used to um, to, to police lynchings, right? So we talk about that with the understanding that that, that, that that deeply rooted past is when we have to fight against aggressively every single day. Um, for the last several years, all of our officers have been part of procedural justice training and implicit bias training. That's not one time and ongoing. And all that being said, we know that there's still a lot of work to do. Um, but we also understand that that work has to start, it has to start in earnest and it has been done Again, in conjunction with our community, who's been a, a great partner and coach and leader through all this, and through our officers who have really embraced sort of this new way of policing. Well, you've had some dramatic results, uh, and the numbers don't lie, uh, and you've certainly got a lot of national attention. I think we should mention that not only is there uh, serious bias training that goes on for police officers and the historical training that you alluded to with going all the way back to uh, slave patrols, but officers have to wear body cameras. They do investigate any complaints that come in. I'm wondering how this fares, though, uh, with the fact that um, uh, there, there was a tax measure in Stockton, correct me if I'm wrong about this, that was supposed to provide for a certain number of police that were promised. Uh, and, well, I guess I, I could state this rather uh, forthrightly, I hope, that there was a lot of money that had to be paid out of taxes for services and, uh, and to go pay for pensions. So essentially, extra police were not hired. Do I have that right? No, that's actually incorrect. So since um, the passage of Measure A and B in 2013, we have hired over 120 new officers. So at the time, we were at about 350 officers, and now we're at 470. Um, and, even, and even with that being said, um, we're still one of the most understaffed police departments in the country per capita. So where are you on uh, defunding police? Uh, I mean, is it unnecessary from your perspective and maybe irrelevant even? 
No, I, well, I think I've been saying this since I was elected on city council. Um, I remember doing my first ride along and seeing over the span of eight hours, a lot of the things we were called to do weren't actually the job that police are best equipped to do. Um, so I, I'm resolute in my opinion, I have been before this hashtag will be after, that we can't, cops cannot be our answer to poverty, cops cannot be our answer to homelessness, and cops cannot be our answer um, to poor schools, they can't be our answer to, to mental health, um, that we need social workers, we need therapists, we need good schools, we need good jobs, we need opportunity. Um, and, and with that being said, we also have to understand that all the funding for services doesn't come from cities. In fact, most of those services are from school districts and counties. So the conversation we're having isn't a city government conversation. It's a conversation around sort of society writ large and with all our funding streams and all of our form of governments, how are we prioritizing safety in a way that's holistic and that understands sort of some of the root causes of, of crime. Um, so, so I definitely agree we need more investment in social workers. We don't need cops being um, social workers. We need cops being cops. We don't need our first response to homelessness shouldn't be to call 911, but it should be called some sort of housing navigator. And that we've done our communities a great disservice when the only meaningful investment we continually give is more law enforcement, when law enforcement is the answer again to these issues with poverty, these issues with homelessness, and these issues with mental health. Well, you mentioned poverty a few times, and I want to go into what you have essentially implemented and now extended, and that is randomly selected individuals getting $500 cash a month uh, extending through next year, because I guess as you see it, this is really not only helping people to just pay for basic needs, but it's also giving them some sense of hope. Yeah, well, this idea of, of a guaranteed income um, is actually an old one. So Thomas Paine was talking about this in the late 1700s. And most interestingly, in the late 60s, during a time of great civil unrest where people were taken to the streets to, to, to protest um, systemic racism, um, Dr. King wrote in Where Do We Go From Here that a guaranteed income has to be part of a response to that nihilism and disillusionment. Um, so in 2019 in Stockton, we piloted and we found that Number one, that people are working and working incredibly hard, but the economy is not working for them. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of exposed that to everyone. Um, number two, we, we found that something as small as $500 a month isn't enough to replace work, but it's enough to allow people to make sure their basic necessities are met so they can pay for housing to shelter in place, so that they can pay for food, so they can pay for medical bills, so they can deal with the unexpected emergencies when one in two Americans when before COVID at a time where the stock market was doing as great as it's ever been for, for those who own stocks, um, still couldn't afford one $500 emergency. And we've, and we've also found that people spend money the way you and I spend money, that this notion that, that folks are gonna spend, that folks are struggling because they can't, they don't know how to manage money isn't true. The truth is the fact that folks struggle financially because they don't have money to manage. So what this does is it gives people at least a possibility of, well, giving themselves some way of uh, surviving in many cases. I think that's what we're talking about, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's really about sort of updating our, our social contract and understanding that everyone's contributing and everyone's getting value. And it's to our benefit to ensure that as part of this great social contract that we make sure that folks at least have a foundation to build upon. And I think this conversation is incredibly important today because we know we live in a time of pandemics. So this year is COVID-19, next year will be a fire, the year after will be some sort of earthquake, 
And in all those instances, folks need a, a fiscal floor, a foundation to withstand because these pandemics aren't once in a decade, aren't once in a century. These are every single year. They're economically disruptive. They disrupt our societies. And if we don't have a strong foundation, each and every time we'll have to start at square zero, which does none of us any good. Now, you mentioned all the way back to Thomas Paine, but we look at the last, this last presidential campaign when Andrew Yang was advocating universal basic income. Uh, those who argue against it, and I know you've heard these arguments, say that uh, it takes away potential jobs, low-paying jobs, uh, automotive jo automated jobs, that is, are more apt to be made by the technology companies, and it discourages people from working. It's used as an excuse. And what, what do you say to those kinds of arguments? Yeah, well, I, I would say to the automation point, automation is happening anyway. Um, and the idea of, of a basic income, I think one of the benefits is that it helps create some sort of foundation to, to allow people to persist through automation. But for me, it's not even about the future. It, it's really about kind of the here and now and how folks are working incredibly hard, working longer hours than ever before, and have less to, to, to show for it. In terms of this idea that people, that $500 is enough to replace, to get people to stop working. Um, the most people in this country who can work, do work. People who don't work, don't work for a variety of reasons. The largest group of people who don't work are children because we have child labor laws. Um, and then folks don't work, they may have some sort of disability. And then folks don't work because they're unable to find jobs because of, um, criminal records, histories, et cetera. Or some folks don't work, particularly women, because to work a low-wage job, there's not enough money to pay for childcare. So many women choose the rational economic choice to actually work from home in terms of doing child rearing and domestic labor, work that if they get outside the home, they would be paid for. But because they do it at home, they're not compensated, but they're still working. So, so again, I think a lot of it is just based off misnomers around how the economy works and how people behave. And another big point we've had to argue with is this idea of dignity being attached to work. And again, I would argue that dignity is attached to humanity first and foremost, and that we force people, particularly our essential workers, to work in undignified conditions, where even today they're out working during the midst of a global pandemic in communities oftentimes that don't even force patrons to wear masks. So they're putting their self at harm's way, their families at harm's way, and still can't take home enough to pay for rent or pay for them, or pay for utilities, or pay for a car. And I would argue that's inherently undignified. And if we understood that dignity starts with humanity, then maybe we would create the, the workplace conditions that allow for dignity, like weekends off, like like stable hours, like like pay time off for sick time or for paternal leave, um, family leave, etc. Um, so absolutely, I, I truly, truly believe that it's a misnomer that people don't want to work. People do want to work. People are working and contributing in a variety of ways, but work isn't paying, particularly for um, those of us who are deemed essential workers and particularly for people of color in this country. What have you been able to determine, though, Mayor Tubbs, in terms of metrics uh, on how this money has been spent? Yeah, so on StocktonDemonstration.org, we have a data dashboard that's uploaded every month with spending data. And what we found is that folks spend money just like you and I and the listeners spend money partly because they're folks like you and I and the listeners. They're, they're, the recipients are people too. Um, so the biggest single expenditure was for housing. I mean, for um, the single biggest expenditure was for food. Um, and then that was followed by utilities 
and then that was followed by um, miscellaneous things like like school supplies, clothes, things of that sort. Again, we're talking to uh, Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, and if you'd like to join us, let me invite you to do that. If you have questions for the mayor, if you want to weigh in here on such things as guaranteed income, which we were just talking about, or for that matter, uh, the efforts of Stockton uh, with respect to police, you may want to join the program. Any questions you have for the mayor, you can join us now. Toll-free 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. That number again, toll-free, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And Mayor Tubbs, I'm interested in um, pursuing a little bit with you about what's going on with respect to the COVID uh, crisis. San Joaquin right now has the highest number of hospitalizations. The numbers are rising and have been rising since the pandemic began. I know you're at this point uh, standing firm on the idea that people should have required masks. You were voted down city council. I think you were it was six to one against you on that. So I'd like to know where you stand on that. But also I'd like to know where Stockton is or how Stockton is faring, particularly in this pandemic, opening up, staying open. Where are you? Yeah, um, well, thank you for the question. I, I stand firmly on the side of what's right on the side of science, on the side of the thousands of folks have emailed me since um, the vote was taken that for us to open up, um, for us to persist in this new normal, and for us to keep everyone safe, in particular our essential workers, our, our elders, and those who have immuno, who are immunocompromised, particularly in the city of Stockton, which has high rates of asthma, high rates of diabetes, um, a very diverse population, that when we're out in public, we should listen to the to the science, and, and, and we should wear masks as a way of, of exercising their freedom to live, um, their freedom to have liberty, and their freedom to pursue happiness, right? And I think that there's been so much misinformation and, and, and bad um, science and examples said from the White House on down that people are really con confused. Well, so, really forgive me, is it that confusion that leads to the fact that all six city council members were on the other side and said masks should not be mandatory? Is that well, filtering I, I, down I, I, from Washington? If I was right? able to read all their, their brands and their intentions, the vote would have been different. Um, so I can't really speak to yeah. exactly how they voted the way they voted. I just know from the statements that were made from some of them, but also from the public, it was just misinformation around masks being more dangerous than not wearing masks or masks not being important um, or, or just not having a real understanding of how this virus operates and works. Um, in terms of, of the city, because we're in the city, the county actually has a decision-making power and they set the floor. Um, so our public health officer has decided to proceed with moving through phase three. Um, but at the same time, my, my eyes are very wide-eyed and clear that I know that we have the most cases per day than we've had since this virus started, that we have, um, for every metric we told the state we would meet, we, were, we are exceedingly above that in a way and that we have to get serious about having a conversation around what are we going to do um, to, to protect the public. So I'm, I've been heartened to hear so many community members kind of rise up and share like, oh no, we want to open up. We want to open up in a way that's safe. We want to open up in a way that, that's guided by science. We want to open up in a way that allows us to kind of create this new normal. So absolutely that vote was shocking and, and, and disappointing. It doesn't reflect kind of science, but also doesn't reflect my council at its best. So I'm confident 
that with enough kind of reading and research and understanding that, that the council will reverse the decision, although that decision is actually a county decision. It has to be made by the public health officer who has said publicly that she won't make that determination because she's worried about getting possible death threats as she's seen other public health directors get throughout the, throughout the state. Well, I don't want to necessarily get into the weeds here, but I was reading some of the concerns that city council members had, and uh, one of them had to do with the ability to enforce uh, the masks, uh, but also infringing personal freedoms, as you could well understand, I suppose. Many people feel that way about masks, uh, but also uh, there was some concern expressed about calling 911 call centers. It would be an unnecessary burden. It would be unprecedented uh, in terms of that kind of problem. And... Uh, well, there are other issues such as uh, more of a county problem maybe than a city problem, but these are the arguments that were given. It, it, as far as you're concerned, from what I'm hearing, the science dictates this and should dictate this entirely, the science and the safety of the people. Those other concerns may be real concerns, but they're peripheral to that. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced they're, they're real concerns because those same concerns would have been true with the stay-at-home order we implemented, or the same concerns could be true of any ordinance, like as, as a lawmaking body, like that's like a concern that happens anytime we make a ruling or an ordinance around this is, these are the rules, right? Um, so so that, for that to be a, a concern, I just don't find that to be terribly um, con convincing, particularly because in the past three months, we've made kind of rules and regulations um, that we're trusting people to, to, to do, because again, this is about public health. So law enforcement, the conversation we had earlier, I don't want cops policing mask wearing. This is not a crime issue it's, it's a public health issue and i think what i'm hearing from the public is that we need to signal how serious it is and also give small business owners the protection to kind of make these rules and say well no we're complying with what the city government said because in this moment it's easy to pontificate it's easy to 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 kick the ball down the road but what this moment really demands is, is, is leadership and clarity around like what is needed to be done um, so again, if we don't pass, we didn't pass the mask ordinance in last week, but I'm very certain, given the way our numbers are looking in this county, in our city, in our state, that at some point there's going to be some sort of, um, of, of ordinance to not wear masks 24-7, but to wear them when you're out in a way that can endanger other people, which is just fundamental, in my opinion, to being a good neighbor, fundamental to being a good citizen, and fundamental to what our American democracy has or at least should be about. Talking to Mayor Michael Tubbs, he is Mayor of Stockton, and we'll talk with Barbara, who's joining us from San Bruno. Barbara, good morning. You're on the air. Hi there. I just wanted to um, bring up two points, a little off the medical part, but still, I thought um, just the, the fair pay and how we're struggling to have a family life while we're trying to work. Two things, unemployment isn't down. They keep saying unemployment's down. It's down because people have to use three and four jobs in order to make their house run. And the second thing is I think companies don't really care about what the employee's life is like. They only care that their investors are happy and that they're keeping them putting money into the company. But they don't share any of that with the employees. And I think those are two of the big things that have really affected our American life. Right, Barbara, I appreciate your comments. You want to respond to her comments? Mayor Tubbs. A hundred percent. I agree whole, wholeheartedly in that the fact that I don't think in any civilized society, people should have to work three or four jobs, work themselves to death, um, and still not be able to pay basic necessities at the end of the month. And I, and I, and I think that's part of the motivation because so many people in my community, that's their lived experience, 
is why I've been open to experimenting and trying new ideas to really um, reward people for the work they're doing, but also allowing people the time to be a human, to enjoy their lives and to spend time with their families. We're talking again with Dr. Mayor Michael Tubbs, and we do invite you to join us if you have questions for the mayor or if you'd like to weigh in here on some of the things we've been talking about and simply join the conversation. You can join us now toll free at 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. Coming right up on a break here, Amanda wants to know, were people who did receive the funds, we're talking about the $500 extra, uh, also tracked as a control group to evaluate changes and similarities between outcomes of the two groups. Quick response from you, Mayor, before we go to our break here on that. Yeah, absolutely. There's an um, a independent evaluation being done by researchers from University of Pennsylvania, University of Tennessee, with a control group, a treatment group. Um, that full report would be out next year, but if you go to StocktonDemonstration.org, you can see the data on a month-by-month basis thus far. More with Mayor Tubbs when we return. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. Our guest this hour is Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, and we're talking with him about a range of things. Uh, He's taken uh, really strong positions, which have actually received a good deal of national attention in terms of guaranteed income, uh, also in terms of... uh, police behavior and responding to police brutality and concerns that many now have about the actions of police uh, and also questions about what to do with uh, requiring masks and uh, well, different kinds of issues and different kinds of policies uh, in this time of pandemic. I wanna ask you about one other thing before we bring our more listeners into this and uh, time permitting, Michael Tubbs, I'd also like to ask you about the Stockton economy, because as many people know, Stockton did declare bankruptcy, and it looks like things are uh, pretty good now, at least uh, in some respects. Uh, I mean, you've uh, certainly brought violent crime down and uh, no no layoffs, uh, no cuts. The budget seems to be in good shape, although there's a lot of pension money, and time permitting, I'd like to talk about that. But I want to bring up something else that's pretty controversial, and uh, before we get more callers involved in that, and that is your position on on reparations for African Americans. I know when Governor Newsom visited Stockton, he said he would consider a study that was done. Uh, Shirley Weber, Assemblywoman Shirley Weber of San Diego, uh, has put forth a bill, and essentially it has to do with political reparations. California Legislative's Black Caucus has highlighted this as a priority. You behind it? As the Golden State uh, opportunity for all on the side of the resistance, I absolutely agree with the governor that we have to have a serious discussion, particularly in this time of civil unrest when um, the entire nation is out in every city. Um, there's protests and people speaking about the need um, to, to elevate in human dignity for all people, um, to, to set up Black Lives Matter, and to really make good on, on, on the promise of, of our democracy. So I definitely agree with the governor's position and the position of the Congressional Black Caucus that we have to begin in, er- in earnest studying and figuring out and following where, where the conclusions may lead. Would you be in favor, I guess is a good way to frame it here, uh, reparations to be paid and what kind of reparations if you are in favor uh, to African-Americans? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, and again, I would say, I think that before getting to the conclusion, um, I'm not an expert in sort of the reparations that have been paid historically to other groups in this country, although I know they have been made 
So I would definitely think the first step to get to that answer would be sort of what the Congressional Black Caucus and the governor are proposing, um, which right. is to simply look and discuss and talk about with a, with a wide group of stakeholders and historians and, and figure out sort of what's old, what's new, and how to do it. So I'm definitely supportive um, of that step. I, I'll be hesitant to prescribe a conclusion um, so, so early in the process, but the process definitely ha has to start and we have to follow those conclusions to their logical end. Again, if uh, you, our listeners, want to weigh in here, if you have questions for the mayor, toll-free 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. And you can also join us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And here's a question from Lawrence who says, the idea of a guaranteed stipend intrigues me. Can you explain the process of random selection of recipients? Is the entire population of Stockton in the pool? And if you were to advise Mayor Breed about implementing a pilot program in San Francisco, would you recommend increasing the amount from the $500 you have in Stockton owing to the higher cost of housing here? Yeah, so um, essentially we had two researchers um, come up with our research design. And what we decided was we wanted it to be as universal as possible. So we took sort of census data. So if you lived at a census tract at or below the city's median income, you were eligible, which was about 76% of the city. Um, and then from there, the researchers did their research magic and created a, a control group and a treatment group um, that mirrors as best as possible the, the diversity um, that makes Stockton su such a great city. And for those who are very interested you go to StocktonDemonstration.org, there's a white paper about seven pages that talks about sort of the research design, the considerations that were made, how choices were made, et cetera. In terms of um, San Francisco, well, first of all, I, I love Mayor Breed. Um, I think she's doing a great job. And there's also several supervisors, Supervisor Walton, Supervisor Haney, who are, who are dear friends. And I've had conversations with all of them um, about, about the topic. And I, and I definitely think, um, Anything greater than zero is great. So if, particularly given the high cost of living in San Francisco, um, something bigger than $500 would make a lot of sense. Although I'm sure even $500 would mean a lot for the people kind of on, on, on the margins or the people who are one sickness away, one missed paycheck away from, from being homeless or, or, or worse themselves. Well, in many um, cases, I think we're talking about now the higher price of food. A lot of that money is going to food and basic necessities, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot of money in, in Stockton is going to food and, and basic necessities. Um, but, I, but I think just given the higher cost of living um, in, in San Francisco, a higher amount is probably um, warranted. We should talk a little bit for a moment about the funding of the trial project that uh, is in place in Stockton, because uh, I believe it's funded, it was originally funded by the Economic Security Project, but there's now an extension, and that extension has to do with the largesse uh, donation from a philanthropist named Carol Tolan. Yeah, we've been really blessed, because um, we know charity isn't necessarily justice, but philanthropy does allow us to try, study, test, pilot ideas that could one day hopefully be brought to scale. So the money was all philanthropically funded, led by the Economic Security Project and, and Chris Hughes, who gave them a million dollars for disbursements. And as you mentioned recently, a philanthropist, Carol Tolan, gave $400,000 to extend disbursements to, to, to January. And right now, uh, the, the prognosis is pretty good, I think, from your perspective for Stockton. It looks like it's healthy again. It's been out of bankruptcy, made it through a first uh, recession, but the poverty rate is still high. 
And I'm just wondering also about, well, the, the debt that has accrued, particularly because of pensions. Uh, I think uh, we're talking about millions of dollars, really, uh, that have to be paid off in uh, funded pension liabilities, aren't we? Yeah, well, I think to your point about kind of pension liabilities, that's a, a question, a, a problem that every single city in the state um, is going to have to grapple with. And I think because of the hard decisions made during bankruptcy, Stockton will be better positioned than most um, because unfortunately we had to um, reform and renege on some of our um, commitments um, before I was mayor to our self-administered healthcare plan, um, which allowed us to save kind of caused a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of anguish, and it really hit people, at, at, especially those who are retiring, and, and, and it was a great sacrifice on their part, but that sacrifice has made it so that, um, to your point, our last budget includes no cuts, no layoffs, no furloughs. Um, so we were named the second most fiscally healthy city in the state behind Irvine by Truth and Accounting. Um, as part of our bankruptcy exit, we have a kind of 30-year um, repayment plan to our creditors. Um, and we also have a long range financial plan that I've institutionalized. We have a higher reserve policy to ensure that we never have to make such draconian cuts again. Uh, pension liability. So I want to get the figure out here. I, I believe it's $390 million. Is that correct? It's, I, I'm not sure of the exact number, but Again, like most, like every city, it's it, it, pretty high. and has to be paid off over the, um, the last couple of years. I think that's why some of the reforms we made with our reserve policy and, again, some of the um, tough decisions we had to make in bankruptcy have positioned us to be in a, in a much more nimble and, and better position than, than many other cities um, in this state, particularly with the oncoming um, recession slash depression. Again, our guest is Dr. Mayor Michael Tubbs, and our caller is Kyle. Kyle joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Mayor Tubbs. This is Kyle. Since you've been out of college, I've heard you speak about your city from a place of research and understanding how to make the best possible changes. And I'm wondering if you're finding any correlation between the minimum payment that you're producing for your constituents for your city and their positive engagement with the governmental structure and system and laws in the city that you've got going on there. Thank you for the question, Kyle. Mayor Tubbs. Thank, thank you, Kyle, for the question. Um, and that's one of the research questions that the um, research team is answering, because we know that for a lot of people, the only interaction they have with government is a negative one, where government's saying, you owe this, you owe this, you did something bad, but not something that's much more kind of welcoming, like, hey, we see you, you're being rewarded. Um, so that's one of the questions they'll be figuring out as part of the research. Anecdotally, I can tell you that I go to events often, or back when we used to have public events, where um, people will come up to me and say, hey, Mayor Tubbs, I'm part of the basic income demonstration. And they would be volunteering at a food bank or attending the state of the city speech or engaging in the city government or engaging just in the community in ways um, that they haven't before. So that's that wasn't something I had thought about going in, but it does seem to make sense that it, it kind of leads to feelings of positive feelings and belonging with kind of society and government, which would spur things like volunteerism and contributing to the community. Or it also gives people more time to do those things. So they're able to go to PTA meetings, they're able to go to city council meetings. But it's a pleasant surprise every time when someone says, hey, I'm, I'm in the basic income program at some sort of city event or volunteering somewhere. Is it fair, uh, well, let me uh, frame this uh, as uh, 
carefully as I can, because there has been some criticism about the solvency that came out of bankruptcy for Stockton, that it had to do with tax hikes and had to do with the improved economy. But there's also been some criticism, uh, not necessarily directed against you personally, Mayor Tubbs, but that there's a kind of crumbling infrastructure still in Stockton, inadequate public services. What do you say to that? Absolutely. I think that um, part of the reason why the bankruptcy that the city went under seven years ago was symptomatic of just a lot of um, deferred maintenance, like just a lot of issues in the community. Um, so in the past three and a half years as mayor, we've been working incredibly hard to correct those, but understand that there will always be um, more work to do. So we've, um, we just talked about our capital improvement plan during the budget session. We have a strategy uh, using general fund dollars, state dollars, federal dollars to begin addressing some of those concerns, but definitely um, there's potholes we have to address. There's um, cracked sidewalks. There's trees we have to plant. There's um, deferred maintenance on buildings that we, we've, been, we've been ready to catch up on. And um, that's why a big part of our work is also expanding our tax base. So we have the revenue needed to address those very serious concerns. But yeah, no, Stockton's not Disneyland. Uh, we've made significant improvements, but we have a long way to go. And we're very sober-minded and clear about the amount of work we have to do. Here's a question from a tweet from John along these lines. He says, please ask the mayor why we should trust his ideas. Stockton hired a flawed city manager who knowingly doubled taxes for emergency medical services, then put the city in twice the financial trouble when it was struck down and had to be repaid. I honestly have no idea what, what or who John is talking about, but um, I'm very confident in our city manager, Harry Black, um, the former city manager of Cincinnati, who is heralded across the nation as one of the most forward-thinking, progressive, and, and best city managers. Um, he's someone who's very data and performance analytic-driven. And Cincinnati took the permit process down to 10 days, created an Office of Data and Performance Analytics, created a Cincy Stat program, and we're looking forward um, to making similar contributions in Stockton. And, and, and contrary to popular belief, um, the mayor is not the king. So the, the vote for our city manager was a 7-0 vote um, from, from myself and the city council mean that the entire council has confidence in his ability to lead um, our city, and we're happy that he's our city manager. Well, you mentioned before that you were voted down by the city council on requiring masks, and I think Steve wants to address that. Steve, join us. You're on the air. Hi, thank you. Um, I look at it uh, very similar to uh, the laws that we have around firing guns off inside the city limits up into the air. Uh, it's, you know, the masks are worn for protecting other people around us, and I don't think that there's any kind of a infringement on rights when you have such a heavy price to pay if masks are not worn um, all the way up to death. Thank you. Thank you for that comment. Agree with Steve's logic, Mayor Tubbs? A hundred percent. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to put people at risk and to get other people sick, especially when the science is clear. And I think because of who our president is, something as simple as protecting our neighbors and being a good neighbor has become politicized, which is sad. But I'm also just happy with the folks who without a official city edict are wearing masks, but we know that to stay open, we have to get that number closer to 100%. And Phyllis is our next caller. Phyllis, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Join us. Good morning. I'm hoping to suggest universal basic income, universal access to transportation, and universal access to food. Everything else follows. I realize the details are far more complicated than I am suggesting, but I do suggest that is a good starting place. 
Well, thank you for that. The devil is definitely in the details. Uh, Mayor Tubbs, I believe you talked to uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi as well as uh, uh, Majority Leader, excuse me, Minority Leader Schumer, and uh, for that matter, Vice President Biden, uh, about guaranteed income. Um, they on board with you? They're supportive, I think, aren't they? Or they have been? Well, I talked to Speaker Pelosi and I spent some time with um, VP Biden's staff. And from Speaker Pelosi, I heard sort of, particularly during this COVID-19 time, that the caucus was going to seriously evaluate and look at all proposals to help people, um, including kind of monthly cash disbursements, because there's a bunch of bills from her colleagues in, in the House, Ro Khanna, um, California Congressman, um, Senator Harris, our, our, our amazing senator, um, and others. Um, and, and I know she said on TV that she'd be interested in exploring the idea. I'm not sure she's there yet because I guess some of the economists are saying, well, paycheck prote protection may be a better way to go, et cetera. Um, but she's definitely not nowhere, no way possible. But she's like, let's, let's, there needs to be more of a groundswell of support, particularly for members, more conservative members of, of, of her caucus. Um, and I know that um, VP Biden's team sees this as a new deal moment and they're seriously considering um, all proposals, all ideas to really re, um, not just reinvigorate, but also reimagine our economy. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing their leadership on this issue and seeing what conclusions they draw. Although I'm very clear that at the very least during COVID-19 pandemic, where people aren't able to work, when small businesses aren't able um, to make as much money as they used to, that there has to be a COVID-19 monthly um, disbursement, just like Senator Harris has proposed. And I would also argue that that should be part of our just normal way of doing things because again, we live in a time of pandemic. So next year or the year after it will be something else. Yeah, in fact, uh, the whole reasoning behind this was disruptive events and what they do to people's lives, whether it's a pandemic or a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake, right? Absolutely. And that's for me has been the most, the thing that's been most clear about COVID-19 is that we just don't have resilience in our society for pandemics and disruptions, but those are becoming more and more current. So we have to get with the times. And there, you've actually had some sympathy from uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney on this too? Yeah, people like Senator Mitt Romney was saying we need to do something. Um, and even, I mean, the Republican, con the Republican um, caucus passed the $1,200 in one-time money. Um, which is a great start. But I think the same courage and, and, and belief in billionaires and corporations and private jet companies and Roof Steakhouse and the Lakers to receive COVID-19 uh, relief funding is the same level of belief and leadership we need to make sure that everyday regular people, the true folks that make our country great, the true people who power our economy are given what they need to persist during this time. Again, we're talking with Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, and uh, you're supporting, uh, I want to get your read on this, a November ballot measure that aims to change Prop 13. It would, cha it would charge big businesses more in property taxes. It's the so-called schools and communities first measure. Let's find out why you're supporting this, but also what do you think its chances are, especially with this economy? Um, well, this economy really is, is, is threatening to cut sort of our most important asset and resource, which is the, our future, our children, education. And we know that for California to remain a world leader, a, a world leading economy, and we know um, to be a golden state and a state of opportunity for all, we have to make sure our, our, our kids and our schools have the resources they need. 
particularly to educate students for, for a whole new world. Um, so I'm joined by, I think, most big city mayors, um, a bunch of organizations who are saying, usually in times of, of economic depression, kids are the first things on the budget, but not this time, not, not, not this time. We're going to do things differently. Um, so I'm supporting the measure because we need to make sure that we're prioritizing what's important. And it's in the name, schools and communities first. And from some polling I've seen, I know a lot of folks are, are it's looking very positive. And it's partly because it's not a tax like we usually do. It's not a regressive tax. It's not a tax on everyone where the brunt of the people paying the taxes are those who don't have a lot of income anyway. The, 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 the tax is a progressive one. It's on our corporations, on our big businesses are seeing million, multi-million, billion dollar um, in revenue um, and saying, hey, we're happy you're doing well. Pay your fair share so that the next generation can do as well. Well, you believe that uh, voters are really willing to change Prop 13? Well, I think it, it depends on how it's framed. So I know a lot of folks, particularly in my community, love the low property taxes they have on their houses for Prop 13. And that's why this is a split role measure, meaning it doesn't speak to that. It speaks to kind of commercial um, taxes for, for, for businesses and corporations. So grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle, mom and dad, um, Prop 13, you get to keep sort of your, your home um, taxes rates. But for companies, corporations, et cetera, there, there has to be um, a, a, a tax that's in line with kind of what 2020 dictates. And again, just given the conversation we're having around sort of the need to fund other things but police, this is a perfect measure to do that. And let me bring Linda aboard. Linda, join us. Thanks for waiting. Well, just what he was saying, the market value these days reflects investors and all of that. And the older people, the mom, pops, grandmas, grandpas, their income did not come from investment. It came from labor. So they've got to rethink uh, this Proposition 13. People of and over a certain age, that taxation needs to be realistic to what their pay scale was. That's the side issue. The other part of it is is that reparations, the concept of reparations and universal income, if reparations were met in the form of some kind of like coupon whereby anyone seeking education, coupon or whatever, education, housing, or medical, that would be insurances. We have a universe, this universal or uh, paid health care, but uh, for those people, and many of us can't do both the um, monthly payments and then go into seeking treatment. We can either do one or the other. So that's of no use. So some of this so-called universal health care should be used maybe in the form of coupons toward medical. Somebody goes to a doctor, whether they're black or white or Asian or whatever, it's the doctor that needs to be paid. Linda, of, thank you for that. Let me, let me get a response from Mayor Tubbs to what you're proposing here in the way of coupons. Uh, some thoughts from you, Mayor Tubbs? You know, I, I think on, on the schools and community first, part of it is just um, we have to do a better job of just educating people what it is. So again, this Prop 13 bill deals just with commercial real estate not residential res real estate. And commercial real estate of, of, of businesses that have the means and the ability to pay more. Um, it closes commercial property tax loopholes that corporations and wealthy investors use to avoid paying their fair share of property taxes, which is not talking about kind of grandma, grandpa, mom and pop and their residential properties. This is commercial um, for those big businesses, corporations and, and, and wealthy folks. 
Um, and B, I think to her, her ideas, that's why what the governor and the Black Caucus are proposing makes a lot of sense because everyone has an opinion and none of those opinions are yet informed because we haven't done the work to really figure out what's the best way to do it. So I definitely agree. We have to have a conversation, get input from everyone and figure out the way forward if that's, if that's what the findings of said study about the, the feasibility of reparations leads us. Let me thank Linda for the call. And uh, I wanted to ask you, if I could, Mayor Tubbs, about um, the bankruptcy again and just what kind of, uh, you were talking about being just right behind Irvine in terms of stability now or fiscal stability. And there's been a lot of a move toward fiscal transparency, but what did it do for creditors? Um, Bill Bergman of Truth and Accounting, who directs research from them, said it cleared the decks, but uh, how, what's the standing now with creditors for Stockton? Yeah, I think um, it's been very frustrating to be frank because while our employees had their healthcare benefit taken away, um, our creditors are still gonna be paid 92 cents on the dollar. Uh, meaning they took an eight cents per dollar haircut, uh, which is um, not bad considering that we had declared bankruptcy, we had to slash city services, we laid off cops and firefighters, et cetera. Um, so our creditors are, are getting based off the, the, the ruling of the bankruptcy mediator and judge, they're getting 90 cents on the dollar. And that's part of our 30, 30 year sort of repayment plan that we're operating under um, in this post bankruptcy sort of stock and budget. And here's Valerie who writes, uh, rather than depleting our treasury through monthly payments, let's just raise our minimum wage to where it ought to be $16 an hour or so. This instantly doubles the income for people who are working minimum wage jobs and the money is paid by those who are benefiting from this labor. Also, uh, Mayor Tubbs, we haven't, I'd like to get your response to that, but uh, we haven't talked about homelessness and I want to get to that because in December, it was announced that the Stockton region was getting $12 million after getting approved for more funding from a state created fund to combat the homeless crisis. Uh, how's that money being spent? And then we can talk more about minimum wage. Yeah, so our, we actually next month, we're approving our community response to homelessness strategic plan which speaks to sort of Stockton, but also San Joaquin counties and our continuum of care strategy for addressing homelessness. Um, the biggest thing is we're definitely taking seriously the need to create more permanent supportive housing. We need 621 permanent supportive housing units to end chronic homelessness. And I'm motivated by the end of my second term to get that done, which would be about 125 new permanent supportive units a year. So to do that, we want to leverage what the governor's done with Project Room Key and acquire as many kind of hotel, motel um, as, as possible and convert them to permanent supportive housing and then give them to community-based organizations to run as permanent supportive housing. We also have to extend our shelter capacity and create navigation centers and low barrier shelters where folks can go with their pets. We have to, have to, have to increase our outreach capacity so we're building relationships with those and in our encampments. And we also have to build more affordable housing and do more things for rental assistance, um, eviction prevention work, et cetera, because we know the best way to end homelessness besides housing first is to ensure our residents don't become homeless in the first place. So I'm super excited because for two and a half years, I've had people yelling at me about homelessness with no resources to address it. And thanks to kind of advocacy and the partnership with the governor and the legislature, the city of Stockton will now receive direct allocation to address the, the, that issue. And we have a plan to put those resources again. So I'm excited about that and looking forward to the results. In terms of um, the minimum wage, I think that that's a, I, I don't think we need to be in a scarcity mindset. I think it's a both and. So raising minimum wage is important, but again, there's a bunch of people who work 
but aren't being compensated, particularly women who are doing caregiving, domestic work, et cetera, artists, students, there's a bunch of people who aren't able to work because of disabilities, et cetera. And I think they deserve a form of income as well. So minimum wage increase is definitely needed. And that's what any just and humane society would do. But in addition to that, I think there has to be some sort of income floor for everyone because your ability to make basic necessities shouldn't be predicated on whether you fit a narrow definition of work, particularly because again, we know that a bunch of people, particularly women, decide to do caregiving domestic labor, which is someone who spends time um, with my son every day. That's harder work than this interview or, or, or any of the things I have to do as mayor. And you don't um, want to replace the, you don't want to replace your guaranteed income program because it's been extended just in response to that last comment as well. Michael Tubbs, so good to have you with us. Thank you so much for being with us. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That's Michael Tubbs, mayor of Stockton, California. We're here with you Monday through Friday, and uh, we hope that you will let us know what you think about what you hear on this program. You can do that by emailing us forum at kqed.org. And for all of us at KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.